0: You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh, proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. LFG oz.com.au. Or you could visit their
1: store in Canberra. It's in the ACT. For all your board gaming needs. And now, on with the show. The Dice Men Cometh! Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, good night, good morrow. Happy Easter. And everything else in between you are with the Dice Men Cometh coming at you live from a secret studio in the little island of Tasmania. My name's Garth. I'm joined, as always, by Mark. Leon is having a little bit of a break, and Mm -hmm. we are here to talk everything tabletop, board gaming, things you can do on, around, under, through a table. And, oh boy, this is an episode, and it's a feature episode. It sure is, Garth. So, in fact, we are actually... The Stonemeyer men cometh on today's episode, I think, because we're, we're basically doing a, a whole episode mm. featuring two Stonemeyer games. Absolutely. That's pretty exciting. It is. It doesn't happen very often, and we are very excited to be doing this because we talk about a lot of games. We do. And Stonemeyer makes games. So, yeah. what better opportunity to combine Stonemeyer, who has very generously provided us with some games?
0: And our love of games to talk about games. And not only that, Garth, but we've got almost the culmination of perhaps the most exciting board game convention-based competition in the Australian board gaming space to talk about as well. Possibly even the Southern Hemisphere. Maybe, maybe that's right. Um, but we'll now that we've teased it... We can leave it to the end. We've got so much to talk about in terms of those Maya games. But before we do, let's take a quick break, recharge our glasses, and come back with more on the Dice Men Cometh. The Hi, I just wanted to say, definitely do not go and become a patron of the Dice Men Cometh right now. I advise this because if you do, you'll be entered into a competition to win some great games, and frankly, I'd like to keep my own odds of winning as high as possible. So definitely do not go to Patreon and sign up right away. Perhaps just leave it a little while. That way, you'll forget about it and remember again when the competition's closed. That's all from me. I'm Tegan Smith, and you're listening to... To the
1: Dice Men Cometh. The Dice Cometh! All right, well, here we go. We are the Dice Men Cometh, and we are going to kick off in a way that is absolutely appropriate for this show, which is talking about wine.
0: Absolutely. Not w- just w- normal. wine. Why not, Garth? Well, why
1: not indeed, Mark? So, who better to lead this particular segment? Then you, yes, that's oh, not wine,
0: <laughs> Mark, was a fruit-based beverage. Tell us about Viticulture, maybe even Viticulture World. It has a whole world, Garth. Yeah, it's a it's whole amazing. World. So yes, so Viticulture, I'm sure many of you will know, we have discussed it in the past. It is a game we really, really like. It is a game about planting vines, growing grapes, picking the grapes putting them in your crush pad, turning them into wines, and then selling the wines or filling wine orders for wine and turning all those things into victory points. And you're playing against your fellows looking to score, like so many games, as many points as you can. And of course, one of the things we love about Viticulture um, is... You have those great little buildings you can upgrade that add to your player board. And it's a worker placement game where you're competing with your fellows, putting out your workers on the spaces. Yes, Garth?
1: I was just going to jump in and say, Viticulture is very fast approaching my... sort of little bit above entry-level worker placement game. I agree. So someone who hasn't really dipped their toe into worker placement games, meaning that, you know, you have workers meeples that you control that you'll send them to certain areas on a board or a certain area to get stuff or to do things that's what we're talking about in terms of worker placement you send your workers out to do a thing such as planting grapes getting them off the vines turn them into wine whatever the case might be viticulture by its but really clever design i think is super super approachable for that mechanic
0: and look we've already got as we said the essential edition which actually stone my game has provided us with that Quite a while back, we did a review of that quite a while we back, did. and surprise, surprise, we said very nice things about it, because it has been a game that does get back to the table quite regularly for us. have to say, we don't have the Tuscany expansion, um, so I'm not sure of the appeal of that expansion, and a lot of people like it, but we have the Essential Edition of Viticulture, and we really like it. Yep. But this time... we have the visitors Garth. from the
1: and, the and the Rhineland. Yes, we well. do. So they're thrown in there. But yeah, just not the
0: Tuscany with the, yeah. the structures. But what is Viticulture World, I hear you ask, Garth. And what does it add? Well, just in case you're sick of crushing your fellow players into the crush pad, into grape juice, oh. Viticulture World turns your world upside down by making the experience cooperative. What? (laughs) What do I hear you say? You take a perfectly good competitive game and make it cooperative. Who would want to do that?
1: Well, after you've had enough drinks, everyone goes from that, I hate you guys, I don't want to like it, to, oh, let's all be friends. (laughs) So it's maybe just a transition of a a, a good or a challenging night
0: out. Well, Garth, let me tell you who'd want to do that. That would be Mahir Shah and Francesco Testini, because they are the designers of the Viticulture World expansion. And it's a beefy expansion, let me tell you. So not only do you get a new main board for Viticulture... Featuring... Lots of crazy actions... And double-sided... Double-sided board board technology technology, we love at the Dice Men Cometh. And
1: that is because one side is if you have the Tuscany expansion and you want to play with those extra Mm. cards, whereas the other side is if you don't have that expansion, which... I'm not going to say it was made exactly for us because we don't have that expansion, but I'm sure it featured in their design thought process that, oh, the Dicemen haven't got that expansion, so we'll we'll put one one side of the board that doesn't have that that Tuscany bit.
0: Now, the other, let's say, the hugely important part of this expansion are the innovation tiles, which you get your rectangular innovation tiles and your oval innovation tiles and I'm gonna come back and talk about those more, but let's just say what the board allows you to do is when you play these innovation tiles, they basically make your action more powerful, cheaper, sometimes more powerful and cheaper. They basically change it up, let you do more stuff on the same spaces that are already there. But
1: are the spaces exactly the same on this brand new no, board? No, Garth,
0: they are not. There are new
1: spaces. Oh, that's good. I didn't want to just have a whole other board for no, no reason.
0: No, so let me... The board itself, it'll have the spots where your workers go, much like on the base board. But in this, if you're playing one to... So this plays one, uh, one to six. So if you're playing one to three players, you only get one spot. It's nasty. It's very crowded in one <laughs> spot. If you're playing four to six players, a second spot opens up. Um, but I mentioned those rectangular innovation tiles and the oval innovation tiles. Well, the oval innovation tiles fit over the spots, the worker placement spots. And what they do is they basically turn the whole thing into one big spot where firstly, anyone can go. Any number of workers can now go on that spot. But secondly, some of them have, all of them have various symbols on there, which if your worker doesn't have a hat, now, surprise, surprise, I haven't mentioned hats. No, you haven't. I'll get to the hats in a minute. (laughs) So, But if your worker doesn't have one of these hats that I'm going to mention later, then they get to take the bonus that's on the oval innovation tile. Sometimes... It's money, sometimes it's cards, sometimes it points to another innovation tile, so you get a bonus, but you're able to get some form of bonus by going there if you have a hatless worker. Now, Which is a trained worker. It is, Garth. So why do workers need hats? Well, there's a lot of... You spend a lot of time in the there's sunshine. There's a lot of sun out there, particularly because in this expansion, we're going to some sunny places because it's not just set in the... Uh, provincial French or Italian vineyards anymore this game depending on which of the seven different continental decks you would like to use this game could be set in Europe maybe in a different place maybe in Spain maybe in Czechoslovakia who knows Czech Republic the Czech Republic sorry Czechia, even yeah or Bosnia-Herzegovina or maybe Scotland. I'm sure they've got some grapes there somewhere. But So it could be set in Europe. It could be set in Africa. Gets pretty hot there. It does. It could be set in our own Oceania. It could be in North America. Central and South America. It could be in Asia. Not in Antarctica, though. Not in Antarctica. They haven't released I that expansion yet. I think that's yet. six I've mentioned. Or it could be in this little place. I don't know if you've heard of it, Garth green gully i have heard of it yes it's a little land that comes from the charterstone setting so you have these seven continental decks which each change up the game the cooperative now game in a different way now i am going to come at right here and say we're not going to spoil the content of those continental decks now, we have played with four of them, um, including the Green Gully, which is sort of like your tutorial deck. And then they are they go from easy to medium to hard. Boy, do they. <laughs> um, but we're not going to spoil the contents of those, except to say that they're all quite different. Yes, that's they true. They do very, very different things, which you won't really know until you basically choose those decks and start tell, uh, using them. But the instructions will tell you the sort of the difficulty range, and this, there's a suggested suggested order that you play them in.
1: Yeah, and look, the Green Gully version is is the easy one, and it's sort of the this is how Viticulture World works, and hmm. this is you know, introducing players to to the the new style of the game, and even that represents a fair amount of challenge because it is really hard as a person who knows Viticulture quite well to really adjust your thinking about how it's going to be cooperative. Now, what you're doing in this cooperative game is very similar to what you're doing in the competitive one. You're trying to get points. Each of you are individually trying to get at least 25 points. However, you're also trying to go up collectively on the influence track Mm. and you need to get to at least 10 influence, at least in the
0: the first game. You need to get to 10 influence. It's a whole new track. You've got a whole new influence marker i was going to say it's a maple leaf token but that wouldn't be thematic i think it's actually a grape a a vine leaf leaf. token yes maybe you could make it into a dolmati later on yes but this is this is where you know the push and pull
1: of Mm. of a a good cooperative game comes in in that i want to do what's best for me and be selfish and row and i want to get to the 25 points as quickly as i can but i look over there and see, oh mark's struggling mark's not going to get there and if he doesn't get there then we're all going to
0: lose So I'm going to have to try and help him. Mm, And let's talk in a second about how you help. But I want to go back to the hats. So in the original Viticulture game, you have... I think generally you start with five workers and a grande, but you're able to add, I think, one or two extra. Let's not get into the the nitty-gritty. In Viticulture world, you have your grande still, but you have four other workers. Two of them get to wear yellow sun hats for keeping off the summer sun. And two of them get to wear beautiful blue trilbies for keeping off maybe the winter sun, maybe the rain. Who knows? It depends where you I are. They should have had a pom on them for like winter yeah, beanies Yeah, it could have been like something. beanies, but yeah. then they would have had to make two different moulds. So you have these hats and your, your workers start, two of your workers start with yellow hats, two of your workers start with blue hats. What does that mean? What it means is the workers with the yellow summer hats, they can only do summer actions. Because if you remember back to Viticulture, you've got the four seasons. You've got spring, which is basically just determining who's going to go first. And in a similar way, you have spring in this game where collectively now you're going to determine who's going to go first and what bonus you're going to get. You still get your rooster token out. Mm -hmm. Um, Then you've got summer, where you can take summer actions. So in this version, only... Your workers with summer hats can only do summer actions. Then you have the, let's call it fall for our North American listeners, where you get, in this case, you get a little bit of a bonus. You get to choose between one card of any type, $2, or you get to upgrade, age one of your grape tokens. So you can pick one of those three things. Then you go into winter and just like in summer, except colder, your workers with blue hats can only do winter actions. So you're very restricted at the start of the game. Basically, 40% of your workers can only do half of the actions on the board. Another 40% can only do the other half. And at the start, the only worker you've got that can do actions in either season is your grande. Again, your grande doesn't need a vacant spot to go like in the base game. But your Grande in this version gives you another bonus, Garth. Oh, it's pretty exciting. It is. It allows you, if you go where someone else has a worker already, it allows you to trade. What can you trade? Stuff. I've got to look it up because it's it's there's so much. You can trade money. You can trade vine cards. You can trade wine order cards. You can train grape cards. Um, tokens and you can trade wine tokens so garth just as you were saying you know i can go all out get all the 25 victory points i need as quickly as i can and then i go hang on i might as well just go now because there's nothing left i i can do no you can then give your bonus your extra wines to your other players or trade them i should say you can give them money to help them on the actions. so therefore building in this sort of cooperative part of the game it's quite exciting
1: well it is and it's also absolutely vital uh especially in the probably the first half of this game and this this game really does sort of for me anyway sort of break down into segments you yes know? you're very much i'm just trying to get grapes in the ground i'm trying to get stuff so planted so that I can start harvesting for the rest of <laughs> a the game. Fine vintage. Yep, but its resources are so tight because every cent you earn, you're spending it on buildings. Yes. You're spending it on something, so you never got much at the end. So being able to trade a couple of dollars here and there, so that you might be able to have a a fellow winemaker, get their yoke built or get some irrigation or a trellis built to be able to plant more grapes. It's really so beneficial to be able to move the, the relevant um, grape cards around to go, well, Mark, you've only got irrigation. I've got an irrigation wine. You take that one because I've only got a trellis. Mm. And we work together and that is brilliant. We, over the, the how is it, four games that we've yes. played so far almost every single grande placement has resulted in some trade yeah. it doesn't have to be an equal trade it doesn't have to be a two-way trade it has to be initiated by the person who plays the grande and it has to be consensual you know i can't just say mark i'm trading and i'm going to take your thing yeah give me that grape. correct um uh, but it could be, Mark, here you go, here's two bucks so yeah. that you can buy a thing, or here's that grape, or here's this... Duh, duh, duh. You can't exchange people. You can't exchange the visitor cards, um, which makes a little bit of, of a challenge on that, and that's absolutely fine. Um, but, yeah, it, it adds a really cool different dynamic.
0: And it really enabled us during the games that we've played to sort of customise our grape, grape fields, vineyards. <laughs> got, to customise our vineyards, because it's like, yeah, I've got the, uh, the irrigation... But I don't have the trellis, so actually I can see you've got both, so you, you're flexible with the the vines that you can plant. But I'm not, so if you give me that one, I can max out my um, smallest vineyard, allowing me to get more grapes more quickly, make more wine more quickly, get more points. And we really did min max that quite a lot in the in the trading of vines, in the trading of wines. And as you said, like every good Euro game, money is so tight in this, and it's tighter than normal because you know how I mentioned that you can play those upgrade tiles? Well, that's because you've got a spot on the board where you can pay $4 to gain an upgrade tile. So you always need money, even more than you normally always needed money to do all the grapey wine things.
1: Yeah, and that is a great spot to go to, made even more great by the designer in the rule book saying you really should be going there. Yes. You you really should. Just just so you know, you really should be going there and getting these bonuses. Uh, By the way, if you haven't thought about going there, you should really go to that spot. So you want to try and get these $4 spare, which is a huge amount of money at the start of the game, to then get an innovation tile, of which there's typically going to be four available, some of
0: which are And when you say four, only two rectangular ones, so the rectangular ones change the actions, and only two over ones sometimes less, maybe, who knows? We don't want to spoil anything. But yes, so only two chances, each at maximum, I believe, maybe, who knows, um, for the most part, to change those actions, make them better, and only, maybe, two opportunities to turn those very limited worker spots into much more friendly worker spots where more people can go. You also mentioned Garth. You need more money because in winter you've got another spot that you don't have on the base game, which is where you can turn money. Tender is it ten dollars? No, eight dollars for one influence point. Now you need a total of ten, not not each, but between the number of people playing. You in most uh, well in the four-player game, I think you need 10 points. I think in the three-player game, you start a little bit further up the track and so on and so forth. You need to get influence points. And at the start of the game, the only way you can do that is with money. Mm. So money is tight. Being able to share money, being able to get extra money is always, always good. Now, Garth. Yes. Have I missed anything in the mechanics? Well, let me mention, before we go on to the the, the Elephant in the Vineyard, Squashing Grapes. Um, just like every great expansion, this expansion adds a number of things. So it adds the cooperative mode with the new board. It adds those seven different continent decks. Uh, it adds, well, it adds some visitor cards, but only to basically give you a signal that there are some visitor's cards that aren't compatible with this version of the game. Yep. So it changes those to have a black border just so that when you draw them, you realize, oh, that card doesn't work in this version and you draw another card. Um, you've got the hats, as I mentioned. You've got some extra mummers and papas to give you a bit of a change up in how that happens. And here's something that I absolutely love. And so it should be, you can have a mummer and a mama or a papa and a papa. Yes. I don't think you have a... Papa and three mamas, because that's illegal.
1: Well you're um, only allowed two cards. <laughs> that's so, right. so in this but case. Yes,
0: you don't you don't have to have the heteronormative mama and papa. Correct. You can have two of each. It's still Tom Hiddleston, though, isn't it? The Papa is one hundred percent Tom Hiddleston. It is. Yep. Um I mean it doesn't change up anything apart from that that it randomizes your starting setup. Yeah, and
1: it, but it also yeah, gives you more options and they are compatible for the most part with, with normal viticulture yeah. as well, which is which is excellent. You
0: get your hats. What a gaff. I didn't mention that you can take your hat off. I mean, you can leave your hat on. You do have you to. to take your hat off. So that's in, another winter spot. Yeah, in the base game.
1: So it's, a, it's sort of equivalent to, to in the normal game where, yes, you, you yeah, pay to train a, a worker. That's right.
0: You get extra workers by training. In, yep. in the cooperative version, you have a winter spot where you can train your worker, which means you get to take a hat off a worker, which opens up a multitude of possibilities because now you've got a worker that can do summer actions and winter actions. And you can even use winter worker to train a worker who hasn't even, maybe he was a summer worker who did nothing all summer, just sat around getting a tan. But then he can take his hat off in winter and all of a sudden he's completely flexible. So So it is very, very useful. That's another new spot or the spot changes. Um, Just going back to talking about what's in the expansion though, because you also get the Autumn where you can play solo. In this, it's called the Burattino, um, which means a thing. Ah, it's an Italian word for sock puppet, which is very <laughs> clever. And, Garth, I really did take one for the team because, you know, I don't like solo games. But they give us a chance to experience yet another of the Continent Decks, I did play this game solo with the Burrottino Sock Puppet. Wonderful. Um, The Sock Puppet and I won, Garth. (laughs) It was great. Maybe maybe solo games have a big part in your future. Oh, I don't think so. Um, But, yeah, so you... And and as we said, you've got those upgrade tiles. Now, let's talk about the elephant in the vineyard, those upgrade tiles. So what happens, for the most part, generically subject to any changes that might be made by whatever continent deck you are playing, because they all have their own no special instructions that will tell you variations of setup. So notwithstanding that, what you will do generally is you will have a shuffled stack of the rectangular upgrade tiles and a shuffled stack of the oval upgrade tiles and Subject to other rules... I'll stop saying that. Just you, talk generally. Sure. You, Crikey. For the most part, <laughs> you will have two rectangular and two uh, oval sections to choose from. And then in the setup for the next year, you will discard the ones that are already on the board and place new ones. Now, this is where the game has the potential to screw with you a bit. Yeah, To be much, much harder, or a little bit easier. Yeah, it, it is. Depending on the order that those upgrade tiles come out. So let me give you an example. On the baseboard, you can draw one vine, vine card. Or in another space, you can plant one vine card. If you are able to upgrade those spots, all of a sudden you're able to draw two vine cards or you're able to plant two vine cards where the second one is allowed to push you over the normal limit that you'd be able to plant in that field now if you know viticulture you know that could be incredibly powerful because let's say in your five grape field you could have a four grape there already if on as the second one you're planting you could plant a Three or four, all of a sudden, your five grape field turns into an eight-eight grape field. That's massive. Yeah, it is very swingy.
1: Yeah, uh, and the, the the important point about these innovation tiles is that there is only, in terms of the rectangular ones, they cover a particular action. So there is only one tile per mm. um, per spot on the board. I can't even remember how many spots there must be, but it must be 16, 18, something like that. Uh, Two,
0: four, there's eight on each side. There There you go, 16. 16, So there's 16 tiles, and obviously in a normal game, so these games generally have six rounds. So in a normal uh, turn, if you're only getting two of these out per turn, 12 of the 16 are going to come out. Now, one of these upgrade tiles takes the harvesting spot where you can normally harvest one field to harvest all your fields. That could be a massive swing. Yep. Or instead of drawing one wine order card, you get to draw two wine order cards and then fill one of the ones you drew. And the wine that you fill it with is allowed to be two steps lower ...than what it needs to be. So you can see the difference between the base action and the upgraded back action can be quite dramatic. One of the actions where you can sell wine for dollars, you can upgrade and you all of a sudden you can sell wine and get the victory points, half of what it's worth rounded down money-wise. I think we you know get the I mean? point, Mark. Yes.
1: The base actions are base. Yes. And the tiles are crazy powerful. Now, okay. the point of... Point yes, and the whole point of make...
0: all of this is you're only going to get access to a maximum of 12 or the 16. So some of them you won't even see. If one of the ones you don't see is the one that goes from harvesting one field to all fields, that's going to make a massive difference in your game. If one of the ones that you see first is the one that lets you plant two vines instead of one or harvest all your fields... like. The order in which they come out can massively change the game. And what we saw was, and I I saw this in my solo game as well, is the order in my solo game, the order came out very, very friendly to me.
1: Yeah. And and that's this is the this is it. This is I don't know whether it makes or breaks the game difficulty but it absolutely yes. puts the, the pendulum, to use another Stonemeyer game, one way or the other yes. really heavily in we've got this or we haven't.
0: Yeah, and because. so one of the games we played, we so I think we we just won the first one we played. We lost really badly the second one we played. We just won another one we, we uh, played. And then when I played the solo game, I actually won it quite easily and i would say of the four games i think probably in my solo game the order that they came out was probably the most friendly and the game where we the game pretty much crushed us they came out in a very unfriendly manner and i felt like we didn't we even had less opportunities to upgrade one of the things and i think one of the things about the the autumn game the buratino is the other the autumn player is not doing very much at all they're basically just filling up spots from using these Automa cards. So it's basically taking away sort of half of your spots. But the Automa automa player can do one upgrade action in the summer and one spending money to get influence cards in winter um, with the money that it gets, and it sort of gets a little bit of money each turn. That was hugely powerful for me. And then the fact that in the very first round, the upgrade tile for the upgrade space came out which enables you to, I think it halves the cost of the upgrades, so from $4 to $2, and you can do two of them instead of one. So just that simple act where the sock puppet was able to do the upgrade to the upgrade tile, and then every turn after that, so for the next five rounds, I was basically able to use it to do two upgrades per round made a massive difference to the game.
1: I don't know if you've got the gist of this, listeners. The upgrade tiles make a big difference in the order they come <laughs> I mean, I know we've only been going for half an hour, no, but no, I, think, look. I feel like Mark's going to have a stroke soon if he, <laughs> if he keeps talking about this anymore.
0: Look, I, I, I guess you need to be aware of it. It doesn't break the game in no way. And so let's get it out there. I had a ball with this game. When we found out it was cooperative, my first, my first thought was... Really? This is such a fun competitive game. I love this game. I love competing in it. I usually do quite well at it because I'm a bit of an engine builder freak. But I sort of thought, I don't know if I'm gonna like it. And Garth, I loved it. Yeah. I loved the cooperative version. It really feels like it's a very different game. You've got to work, you've you've really, really, really gotta work together so hard. Um The different continents change the game up quite a lot in difficulty, but what it means is um, you've got seven, basically seven different versions of the game to play. You then, because they give you extra cards in those decks as well, so they don't play exactly the same every time, you've got multiple different versions to play. It is a lot of fun. Um, As I said, the continents play quite differently from what we've seen. I have really enjoyed it, but I think the only large but, apart from my own, is that you have to be prepared that one game could go really, really well for you and another good game could go really badly, and the only difference will be the order of those upgrade tiles.
1: Absolutely. And look, it needs to be said, this is not a legacy game. This is not a persistent world game. Each of these games is singular and complete. Um, You're right, you know, that the innovation tiles change... Everything about the difficulty in this game. Um, yes, the continents. They say, look, play through deck uh, cards one through to six. Once you've done it again, you can mix them up in a certain order. Yeah, and, you know, just have it randomised, and that's going to throw it all. That um, the challenge with all cooperative games is the quarterbacking aspect yes. to it. This game skirts that line, I think, because it is so tense yep. at times yep. that you do go. Well, you need to do this so that you can do that, so that I can do this, so that we can do that spot. Because, you know, you, you can only go until you've got those upgrade tiles. You can only send one worker there yeah. or your grande. Yeah. And if you send your grande to a place, you want to be able to take advantage of a trade action. Or you need to try and focus, well, we need to get the, the oval innovation tile, which opens up the space to more people. But which one's it going to be? Yes. So it is a real challenge. And, and look, I, I do want to commend um, Jamie and the, the team at Stonemire because this is an excellent cooperative game. But you need to have done the work in Viticulture to understand how Viticulture works. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be recommending you buy Viticulture and Viticulture World at the same time and go straight into the yes, cooperative version. I'd be I'd be absolutely playing the competitive version um, just to get your head around it because even that can be a real crunch for a for a relatively simple worker placement game. Viticulture to be able to, especially in maybe the last two rounds, try and figuring out the the exact order of Mm -hmm. harvesting fields and getting grapes and those orders are going to be filled. All of it is just this, you know, this really beautiful
0: sort of slight brain-melty
1: situation, which is what we're after.
0: Yeah, and I think, look, for anyone who really enjoys Viticulture World, this is well worth a look, even if you don't normally play cooperative games, because I think the game keeps the essence of viticulture in that you're building an engine with multiple parts. You've got to do it very smart and very efficiently. But in, in this case, you've basically got to do that exercise three or four times, dealing with the different situa- situation that people have different cards, people have different, different starting setups, you've got those different continents. So it really keeps you guessing, it makes you work, but in such a fun way. Um, I just want to thank Jamie and the team at Stonemaier Games for sending us this copy and giving us a chance to play it. Because I, I I, have to say, probably this is not something that I would have looked at if I knew, if I had to go and purchase it myself, just because I loved the base game. I loved it so much, and I felt it doesn't need to change up. You know, you've got those those extra cards, you can get those expansions, which change it up a bit. Um, Hey, maybe we could go to Tuscany. But I didn't think like I needed a new version of the game. No. This has opened my eyes to what a different version of the game can be like. And I loved it. I loved it so much. I played a solo game where I hate solo games. (laughs) And I actually had fun. Um, And it's about $50.
1: So if you've got Viticulture and you've got friends who don't like competitive games try try this because for fifty dollars oh yes
0: you would get your money's worth I absolutely think. it really it basically gives you a whole nother game that keeps enough of the similarities but changes it up so much I can almost guarantee that you would love it um, I've rattled on about it for for so much now again thanks so much to stone my gamers for giving us this um, review copy it is fantastic. We'll definitely be hanging on to it. But Garth, yes, time for me to take a break. Do you not want to talk
1: about the innovation tiles and how they're better than the space? <laughs> like, yeah, there was a couple you didn't talk about in detail.
0: Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to. I can't. No. <laughs> I need to. I need to take a, a a drink, take a breath, and when we come back, oh, what do you reckon we might talk about? Another stone game? Yeah, that sounds Let's great. Let's do that. Um, we'll be back shortly, but you're with The Diceman Cometh. The Dice
1: Cometh. Hi, I'm Jamie Stegmeyer from Stomeyer Games, and you are listening to the Dice Men Cometh podcast. The D-
0: All right, after a fine wine has crossed my lips to help me get my breath back from talking about the last amazing Stonemeyer game, guess what? It's time to talk about a great little Stonemeyer game, Garth. Little? Little? not so little maybe this
1: one. Well, we're talking about Tapestry, which we did talk about already in depth in episode, what, 285? Correct. So, you know, if you haven't already, go back and listen. One of our best episodes, I, I dare say.
0: Garth, any episode where you use the words sexy sandpaper. It's got to be worth listening to again. <laughs>
1: uh, so, yes, Sexy Sandpaper does relate to the quality <laughs> of the paper stock, which is really cool. Anyway, look, um, again, we were very generously provided with a copy of the first expansion for Tapestry Plans and Ploys. Mm. Um, there are currently two expansions. There is a third as well that's on the way, which is being advertised as the third and final expansion okay. for Tapestry. Probably got to work on another wingspan. Who knows? He's <laughs> always got about 10 yes. things going on. and um, well, One of the great they're things they're about new. the email, they. They send.
0: They've got a new exploration game yeah. coming out soon. Expeditions. That's right.
1: Yep. Yeah. But you, if you get the emails from, from Jamie, which which we do, it's always got this little chart of, you know, these yes. are the games I've got and these are the positions of them in and this is that. And, and it's really fascinating. And I don't know how the guy sleeps because there seems to be a always something going on.
0: And look, Garth, just speaking of him not sleeping and having something going on, did you see... There was an email, and I think it was in, it was either on the website or in that email list, where he basically broke down his profit and loss for the company for the 12 months in terms of units of games sold, which ones were making profit, which ones are doing reprints. Basically, every detail you would ever need to know to run your own game company, company. he's sharing those details, which I think is incredibly generous of him. Well, I
1: think he got that inspiration from was it, Steve Jackson, there was it was someone else okay. who, who used to do yep. that, and may still do it. But I look, I think in in a hobby such as ours, where every dollar counts, mm-hmm. and there's only there's only you know an increasingly small number of yes. successful publishers. Getting that information out there is is fantastic. Having having that transparency to yeah. go, you know, this is a a very successful publisher um you know what does that actually translate yeah. to putting food on the table but anyway that's another topic. let's get back to his plans and ploys yes so tapestry if you are not aware pause go back listen to episode 285 mm. and then come back but it is a let's say a 90 to 120 minute civilization building game although it is very abstracted in that regard because on your turn primarily you're going to be moving up one of the four tracks whether that be science technology exploration or military you're going to be spending resources at a, typically at an increasingly large amount of resources to go further and further up the track. That is equivalent to your civilization discovering a thing, discovering writing, discovering something or other. Yeah, and that's how your your civilization is being abstractly sort of progressing. Progressing. Um, one of the major features of it is these beautiful three D, fully painted. Miniatures of different types of buildings that you will get essentially as milestones as you progress. If you are the first civilization to reach these particular benchmarks, they fill up a, a spot on your board, which is essentially your capital city. You'll get points for completing rows and columns in that capital city, which is another abstraction. What Tapestry pl- uh, Plans and Ploys does is add a few little wrinkles to it. Mm. And already, you know, again, May are doing those games which are thinky but not too complicated yeah. yeah you know so in this one we get a whole bunch of extra new civilization mats another 10 of those uh at the start of each game everyone's going to typically be dealt to when they get to choose one that's going to be your civilization whether that be you know the artisans or the aliens mm. or the treasure hunters or something else and that's going to give you potentially a little bit of a direction or a little bit of a special bonus That might apply during the income phases of the game or at the start of a turn or something like that so they're going to be all a little bit different so it gives you that asymmetric ability which is great you've then got new landmark buildings um which is great because more big big buildings is more better five of those buildings are actually uh, in a five player game because this does go to five um, would be potentially given to each player as as part of the starting setup where you each get a card that says when you have achieved this thing you get to place this particular landmark yeah. so for example i have a tv tower when i had three scoring buildings of the same type in my city that was enough for me to get a a, a, a new free tv tower in my civilization so that was a really nice one and Mark, yeah. i had a skyscraper had? it gave
0: me like a three by three building which if you know those capital city mats you know, the more spots you fill, the better, earlier on, the better, that's for sure. That's absolutely right. You've then
1: got 15 new tapestry cards. Now, tapestry cards are vital surprisingly in a game called, called tapestry, tapestry because as part of your um income phase turns you're going to be selecting a new tapestry card and that's going to give your civilization either a, a one-off buff for when it's played or a this era bonus mm. which is basically while you're in this particular era before you then go into the next one you get a bonus of some sort and, and having more of those is really really good you then get four new space tiles including mm. a fifth space tile which replaces a misprint from the original game um um, you just throw out and recycle the one that you don't need. And then you get these little 12 landmark tokens. Now, one of the things that is really cool is these tokens go on the board on each of the little landmark spots, which are the 3D molded buildings. And it just makes it really super easy for everyone at the table to see which buildings have already been taken. Because if there's a little token on the track, you go, oh, that one's still up for grabs. I can go for that one up this track. Whereas if it's not there, you go, oh, Mark's already taken it.
0: Now, Garth...
1: Oh, it also adds oh. a bag. For your exploration. Oh, us, nice. This is good.
0: You don't oh, have to put them in to stacks. You out of a bag. That's right. Now, what I was going to say is if Leon was here, of course, what Leon would say is, what I want in an expansion is I want a bit of everything more. Just give me a bit of everything more. What he be saying uh, that, Shane? Is that how he's <laughs> going to be saying that? That sounds like Leon? Leon always says, you know, the first expansion, just give me a bit more of everything. Yes. And I'll be happy. Yeah. Although. With Leon, that's questionable. Well, look, a happy
1: Leon is a good Leon, and that's that's wonderful. But look, it does. I mean, more variability in terms of the civilizations. More landmarks is always more better because it's more plastic, which Mm -hmm. is more fun. Uh, I really do like the landmark cards, which give players a sense of direction at the start. Because sometimes, I know I've played games where you're sort of just going up the tracks because... It's cheap. Yeah, you sort of pick one and you go, I'll just go up a a bit on all of them. Exactly right. And and that is typically not the winning strategy Mm -hmm. to sort of hedge your bets. What I've found... And I've certainly won and I've absolutely lost, including probably 45 minutes ago. (laughs) Uh, Um, Is that you really want to pick and choose a couple of tracks and just go, hell for leather, I'm going to go up here and I'm going to put all my eggs in this particular track basket. So that's the way to go. Um, The new tapestry cards, you took advantage of those in our most recent game. Yes. One of them is to get the basically, is it a stadium, a coliseum? Um, as, a, as a structure yeah. in your your city, so that was good. I had uh, one which we didn't have to use, which is if you'd tried to conquer one of my um, little tiles, I would have been able to play the card and go, ha, 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 suck it, Mark, but I didn't need to do that. And um, you played the aliens. Yes, which new
0: civilization. Which
1: have uh, a relationship with the space tiles, which are typically only available at the very end of the exploration if, if track.
0: You, yeah, if you're lucky. And they... Um, they,
1: they were massively beneficial for you good and your particular work. game strategy. So, so that sucked, but it was also really good. So look, it's a small box expansion, you know. Um, it is a really compact box, uh, and I love that. The vast majority of the box is made of the seven new miniatures, but it's really super easy to integrate with the base game, and I can't see why you wouldn't just keep it in there forever and a Yeah. I don't see any reason to go and take out the Civilizations, take out the Tapestry cards, just keep it all in there. It is a, a perfectly beautiful addition.
0: It just adds more. And I th- look, I-, I should say I'm not always mis- Mr. Peter Positive, like I am seeming to be in this episode. But, and not just because he sent us some review copies, but because I think it's actually genuine, the fact that not just in these games, but in other games I've seen, whether it's the Wingspan expansion that we spoke about recently, every time Stonemaier put out an expansion, quite often they include a couple little things they don't need to, that actually don't... Add so much to the gameplay, but add to the quality of the game. So as you said, the little tokens that cover the landmark tiles, or the fact that they are now moving towards these um, recycled plastic bags that you can then recycle instead of the one-use bags. Just little things like that that add to the quality of the game, that add to the consciousness of the the designers, the producers, and the players Little things like that uh, do make a difference in our hobby, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And clearly it's working for Mind. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite simple. So, you know, I I would assume that Wingspan just sits back and makes Jamie's oh, Degmire lots of lots of yeah. money, which is thoroughly deserved because it is a really accessible game. Mm. Is it my cup of tea? No. I find it uh, okay. And that's fine yeah. because um, there are... Lots and lots and lots and lots of people who absolutely adore and love this game and I think that's wonderful. I'll play it if I'm asked to play it, but is it going to be my first choice? No, a lot of the time. Um, But Tapestry, honestly, is a game that I really enjoy playing but probably doesn't hit the table nearly enough. Now, yes, there's a bit of reviewer's curse in that regard in that, you know, the nature of what we do, we have to play new stuff over and over again, which boo-hoo us, we have to play games. It's really not a problem at all. But it does make it challenging when you find games that you do enjoy playing, and you have to schedule those games in to play. Yeah. Just like we have to play new games, yeah. and that that is in itself a bit of a, a struggle. So I've been really imp- impressed with um with plans and ploys. Uh, I don't know how much it is, but it can't be a huge amount yeah. of money because apart from those seven new miniatures, you know, it's it's good quality additional content. That isn't going to change the game dramatically. Yeah, and
0: it adds it adds new life to your game if you are enjoying it. That's for sure. It gives you options. So, Garth, look, I don't even think we've got time for another break. No. So let us quickly mention that this is probably the last chance you you, the listener, are going to get to enter the BorderCon competition. Now, what is BorderCon? Well, if you don't know. Probably, what are you doing listening to this? But all you need to do is go back and listen to one of the 352 previous episodes. So I'm pretty sure if BorderCon doesn't get a mention in like 98% of them, um, I think there's something wrong. It's the greatest little convention in Australian board gaming where it's a playing convention. They have about, is it, look, let's say 200-ish Give or take, given you know COVID settings, um, tickets. It's in Aubrey, with It's people. Uh, you know they've it's just people. actually they've just actually released a couple of extra tickets because so I think there must have been a couple of people who had to pull out. But there's basically no way to get a ticket to this convention now because they're all gone. I know a way. Is that our competition? It is. It is. Okay, let tell the people, Garth how they can enter
1: the competition. So we have a really long-standing relationship with the BorderCon committee. Mm. Thank you very much. They give us two tickets every single year to give away to our listeners. So we are giving you that opportunity to win those two tickets. All you need to do, and the clock is ticking because you need to do it by the end of April, is send us in via an email or a tweet or an Instagram or a Facebook message or a carrier pigeon or anything Quite simply, what game would you like to play with the Dicemen at BorderCon? Once we are drawing all the entries at the end of uh, April, if you win, you will win two tickets to it. The email address to send it to is dicemencometh at gmail.com. If you aren't already, follow us on Instagram. We are at Dicemencometh. On Twitter, at Dicemencometh. On Facebook, Facebook. Dice At Dice and Cometh. Cometh. Yep. Um, that's, We're remarkably that's, consistent. Like we that. are remarkably consistent. That's the joy of being doing this for so long. <laughs> is right. Facebook had like five people when we started, that's so
0: that was really good. <laughs> well, when we moved over our MySpace page. <laughs> so
1: look, yes. the, the key is we have got plenty of entries, but we always want more. And BorderCon is so hard if you've not been before to get in. Because yes, there are 200 tickets, however, a very sizable percentage of those go to the repeat um, attendees. So it's not like all of the tickets are just yeah. open slathering. Right. There's only a percentage of them that get to be given out to new players.
0: And the important thing is, if you're already going, think about your friends who you would love to have there with you. Because normally, BorderCon, you can't transfer the tickets If, let's say, Garth didn't want to come this year, I couldn't just take his ticket and give it to my wife or some other random in the street. Garth would actually have to give that ticket back to BorderCon and they'd give it to someone else. That's right. So this is basically the only way that you can get two tickets. You can give to anyone.
1: Freedom! Think
0: of your friends. Think of your family. Think of sitting around playing games for four days in beautiful Albury-Wodonga at the Hoveltree Inn. With 200 of your nearest and dearest, closest board gaming friends, where you could play multiple games of Viticulture World. You could try and get through the seven different continents. You could add in expansions to Tapestry. You could do so many different
1: things. I guarantee Wingspan will be played there as well. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely guarantee. Garth? Yes. That's we we've got time for. Well, look, thank you very much to, um, first of all, to, to Jamie and the team at Stonemire for sending us these review copies. We really do appreciate it being sent from all the way North America down yeah. to, to this little island that could. Um, thank you, of course, to our longstanding sponsor, LFG, Looking for Gamers. So mm. if you are interested in games, including the ones that we've talked about, please go to lfg-oz.com.au for a full selection of your board game. I'm
0: actually just about, hopefully, to receive from Charles that i'm paying for um my new wingspan expansions because my wife loves wingspan excellent so look
1: that's it it's episode 253
0: 353
1: 353. oh my gosh i want to go back to 285 and talk (laughs) about tapestry again so look thank you very much for listening please remember to enter the BorderCon competition before the end of april because if you don't you will regret it because there's two people that you could have had there that are not going to get
0: Thank you so much for listening. Thank you again to Stonemaier Games. Thank you for hanging around now for coming very close to ten years, Gareth. Oh, listening to the Dice Men cometh. We will talk to you again very soon. But in the meantime, play lots of games. Take care of each other and have fun. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to another episode of The Dice Men Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicemencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.